Good morning once again. Let's open our Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians. Once again, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today. Here in just a second, I'll start in verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Today's message is titled, Wisdom from the Spirit. We'll be talking about the Holy Spirit this morning from our text. You'll see that title come through as we read our text here in just a moment. But as we get into it, let's start off this way. In 1996, now think about how long ago that actually was versus how long ago that feels. 1996, a man by the name of Sinclair Ferguson came out with a book called The Holy Spirit. And essentially what it was was an, an, an exhaustive doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say to us about the Holy Spirit and his work and his role? Well, in the preface to that book, remember it's in 1996 when he's writing this, in the preface to that book he said that in the years previous, in the decades previous to 1996, people used to begin all their sermons or talks or books on the Holy Spirit by saying that this was the forgotten person of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the forgotten one of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, Ferguson said in 1996, that was no longer the case. At that point, in 96, he said the pendulum had swung in the other direction, and it was as if Christians were obsessed with the Holy Spirit. There was almost too much on the Holy Spirit going around, especially in Pentecostal and charismatic circles. People had become obsessed with the Holy Spirit. So, instead of him being the forgotten person of the Trinity... He he was the one everybody was obsessed with back in 96. Now fast forward to 2009. A man by the name of Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God. I was in seminary when this book came out and I read it immediately as it came out and I found myself agreeing with it and resonating with it. Because his argument in 2009, Chan's argument, was that we're back to the Holy Spirit being the forgotten God. He didn't even make mention of Ferguson's book, but it seemed as though the pendulum had then swung back in the other direction. 2009, we're back to the Holy Spirit being the one that we've all forgotten. And so, is that what's happened? Has the pendulum just swung that far and then back that far in such a short amount of time? Or, are we experiencing different experiences of the Holy Spirit in different Christian circles? What I mean by that is, in perhaps Pentecostal and charismatic circles today, perhaps people are still unhealthily obsessed with the Holy Spirit. And yet, I don't think that's what our church struggles with. I don't think that's what the Christian churches and those in our movement struggle with. We're, we're kind of leaning toward the opposite error. You see, there's two ways that Satan can lead us astray by using the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Two ways that Satan can lead Christians astray with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. In one sense, he can make us obsessed with it, obsessed with miracles, obsessed with ecstatic experiences, obsessed with all kinds of emotionalism. But on the other hand, for others, he causes us to forget the Holy Spirit completely, to, we might say, quench the Holy Spirit, or, as some have done, to dumb it down and equate the Holy Spirit to nothing more than the Bible. 
Now, I'm not trying to demean the Bible by saying that, but there are those in Christianity who essentially equate the Holy Spirit to the Word of God. And that's all. And so, how do we find that middle ground to where we don't fall off in either direction of this fence? Well, let's look at our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And you're going to see here in our text today, 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16, through 16, Paul takes us through just a piece, just a piece of what the Holy Spirit does. As we come into this text, I want you to think for a moment about what you know about the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which are you least familiar with? If I were to ask you to describe their unique roles, how confident would you be on each one? Let's think about that as we come to Paul's text here about the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, we read, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit." For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." From our text today, I want you to see three things about the work of the Spirit. Like I said before, this is a fraction of what the Holy Spirit does in total. But three things I want you to see about the work of the Holy Spirit. The first comes from verse 7. Look at verse 7 back in your Bibles with me. In verse 7, I don't know if this stood out to you as we read it, but it stands out to me every time I come to this passage. Paul says, we impart a secret, hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. For our glory, a secret hidden wisdom. What does this mean? Does this mean that the Bible is some kind of secret code that you can decipher if you have the, the secret key to unlock it? Does this mean that there's some kind of level of super spirituality where if you reach that, if you reach up to those heights, well then you can begin to receive messages from God and from His Spirit that the rest of us don't have access to? Is that what this means? Not at all. No, God's wisdom is secret and hidden because the world sees it as foolishness. You might say it's a secret hidden in plain sight. The world sees this as foolishness. Remember our text back in chapter 1 
where we talked about the foolishness of God. And what we meant by that was not that God is foolish in any way, but that the world looks at the wisdom of God and sees it as foolishness. But this is a, a, a treasure that God has hidden in plain sight. It's a secret hidden in plain sight for any who would have eyes to see and ears to hear. The Spirit opens our eyes and opens our ears to this secret hidden wisdom, hidden in plain sight. You see, the Spirit has revealed God's secret and hidden wisdom through God's Word. That's how He has revealed God's secret and hidden wisdom, through God's Word. The Spirit has given us the words of God or the thoughts of God our text talks about. It is veiled and hidden from the world. And it is a mystery why God would hide it in a certain way. And yet this is what he tells us he has done. Very interesting conversation happens between Jesus and his disciples in Luke chapter 8. Jesus' disciples come up to him and they say, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why are you speaking cryptically all the time? Why not just use plain language that anyone could understand? Why are you using these stories to communicate a meaning over here? Why not just tell people what you mean? And Jesus says this, Luke chapter 8, verse 10. He says, To you, disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Here's what Jesus is saying. When Jesus taught in parables and spoke in parables, he knew that there would be two groups of people that were hearing him. One group would be people whose hearts were open and soft towards him and towards God. And to those people, when Jesus spoke in parables, they would see the beauty and the glory of it. They would feel it in their hearts. They would accept God's message and God's wisdom. And they would see it as a beautiful treasure to behold and to have. But Jesus also knew there would be those whose hearts were hardened toward God and closed off toward the things of God in the crowds as he spoke in parables. And so when he spoke in parables, he says, those things that I say in parables, they will drive those people farther away. Because even though they have eyes, they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. The Spirit has not opened their hearts to God. And so as Jesus spoke in parables, he knew that he would be drawing some closer to himself and pushing some farther away based on the condition of their hearts. Now look at verse 11. In verse 11, Paul uses a wonderful illustration to, to show us this. He says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? Wouldn't you love to know what everybody else in here is thinking right now? Now, on the flip side, would you actually like it if other people knew what you were thinking? Would you like that at all? Probably not, right? We enjoy that no one else knows what, what we're thinking, but we're always fascinated if we could just know what that person was thinking. I'll tell you right now, it's really hard to know what you guys are thinking when all I can see is, is you from here up, right? I have no idea what people are thinking or feeling as they come in. But, but even without that, think about when we come into a place like church, there are people who are coming in here on Sundays who are hurting, who are angry, who are bitter. There are others who are overjoyed, having just experienced perhaps one of the greatest joys in their life this past week. 
There are some who are confused. There are some who are nervous and anxious about the week ahead. But you don't know any of that unless that person allows you in, right? This is one of the important reasons why, as a church family, we should be open and vulnerable with one another, right? Don't, don't come to church and wear a mask over your heart. We've got to let our brothers and sisters into our lives. We've got to let our brothers and sisters share our burdens, right? But you don't know what someone else is thinking. Married couples, do you guys ever do what me and my wife sometimes do? Do you ever look at each other and say, what are you thinking right now? Are we the only ones who do that? Do you guys ever do that? What are you thinking right now? You know, if I say that to my wife, she'll say something like, well, I was thinking about the, the kids' school tomorrow, and I was thinking that maybe this room needs to be repainted, and I was thinking that there's some shrubs out back that need to be wink-wink uh, trimmed, and then there's some, uh, maybe I'll try a new recipe for dinner, and then I was thinking about the, the, the thing that I've got to do this past week, and, and this next week I was thinking about all my to-do list, and pretty soon you're like, whoa. But then if she asks me, you know, what are you thinking right now? I'll, I'll usually be like, uh, basketball? You know, it's like, there's not much going on up here. It's different. But, but the key is, Paul's saying right here, you, you can't know. You don't know what someone else is thinking, right? You have no idea. But then he says, verse 11, So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God. If there's anyone we don't know what he's thinking, it's God. Not only can we not see him, but he's transcendent. He's infinitely above us and different than us. How could we know what is going on in the mind of God? And yet, it says, the Spirit. The Spirit comprehends and knows the thoughts of God. And that same Spirit lives inside of each and every Christian who has given their life to Jesus. The Spirit shows us the thoughts of God in God's Word. You realize that's what you hold in your hands when you hold a Bible. You are holding the thoughts of God. The thoughts of the creator of the universe. Think about how amazing it is that we have the thoughts of God himself. What would we give for that if we did not have access to it? If there was no way we could, we could have access to something like the Bible, what would we give for the thoughts of the creator of the universe? And yet we have it given to us by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, Paul tells us, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. You know what Paul's talking about right there? He's talking about himself and the other apostles who wrote down the words of your New Testaments. He's saying, we're imparting to you words taught to us directly from the Holy Spirit. These words weren't taught to us, Paul is saying. These words were not taught to us by any other person. They were given to us directly by the Holy Spirit, and we are imparting them to you as God's inspired words or the inspired thoughts of God in your Bibles. And so we see from Scripture that the Holy Spirit has given us God's Word. First, or Second Peter, rather. Second Peter 1.21 says this, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so what that tells us is, the men who are writing your Bibles, writing the books of your Bible, Paul, John, Moses, David, Peter, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. And the Holy Spirit is ensuring that 
they're writing not just their own words, but the very words and thoughts of God. Now, it is not as though the Holy Spirit was dictating these things and saying, Paul, you ready? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready, Holy Spirit. Paul, Paul, to the church at Corinth, to, to the church at Corinth, an apostle, an apo- it's not as though that's what's happening. Because as you read through the Bible, what you can see is, you can see the personalities of these guys coming through. You can see the differences in style. If you read a letter of Paul and then immediately go read a letter of John, you can see the differences in style, right? But the Holy Spirit was ensuring as they wrote down these books of the Bible for us that they remembered everything correctly. For instance, as John wrote down the Gospel of John, how in the world could he have remembered all of that without having taken copious notes and having a tape recorder that he could replay the words of Jesus How how could he remember all of that stuff accurately? The Holy Spirit ensures its accuracy, that there are no errors in Scripture. But not only that, the Holy Spirit ensures, as these men write with their own styles, that the, the imprint of God's glory is on it. Have you ever read the Bible and seen God's glory clearly there? And if anyone was to ever ask you, well, how do you how do you know that's God's word? All you could say was, because look at it. Because I, I see it so clearly. It's so clear this is God's glory in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is showing you that. The Holy Spirit gave us Scripture in that He inspired the writers of Scripture to write those things down perfectly accurately, without error, but also ensuring these are the words and the thoughts of God Himself. And so the Holy Spirit reveals God's secret hidden wisdom through God's Word. But not only does the Holy Spirit give us God's Word, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's Word. Look at verse 12. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand. Paul says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand God's Word. Now, again, this does not mean, this does not mean that there is some secret that no one else can gain access to, but you can, right? No other Christian can gain access to the the secret that you're about to gain access to. That's not what this means. This does not mean that you can tap into some secret code and all of a sudden unlock hidden messages inside of this Bible. It does not mean you can tap into the Spirit and learn things that no other Christian can learn. Every now and then someone will come out and claim that God has given them a special insight into the Bible that no other Christian has. You ever seen this happen? Somebody will come out and they'll say, God's given me a message. No one else has this. Perhaps it's the the date that the world's going to end. They're claiming they know when the world's going to end. This has happened throughout the course of history numerous times, or perhaps it's the fulfillment of prophecy in modern day events. But there's all kinds of problems with this. Number one, it's, it's completely subjective. You can't verify these claims unless someone predicts the end of the world and then that date comes and goes. But you can't, you can't verify whether or not they actually had a message from God. And not only that, if you question them, you may, you may be accused of questioning God himself. It's like a trump card. If I say that I've received a message from God, who can say I'm wrong? And if you do say I'm wrong, all i got to do is say, well, you must be really unspiritual because you're questioning the Lord. You're quenching the Holy Spirit, right? 
There's all kinds of problems with this idea. It's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying there's some kind of secret that you can search out and perhaps if you're super spiritual and you tap into the right thing, you can get the message that no other Christian has gotten. No, it means the Holy Spirit helps all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps all of us to rightly interpret and understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us to rightly understand and interpret the Bible. When, when I come to God's Word every morning, I ask the Lord to give me understanding. Because God says in His Word that He will do just that. As we think, as we use our brains, God will give us understanding. I ask the Lord to open my eyes like David prays in Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word because I know if God opens my eyes I could see things in his word that I would not have seen on my own. I ask God, incline my heart to your commands, which is another verse from Psalm 119. God help me not just to, to know your commands but to love them, to see them as glorious, to treasure them. I, I pray to God what Samuel said to God when God was calling out to Samuel as a young boy. And Samuel at first thought it was the high priest, but it wasn't. It was God's voice. Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I pray that in the morning before I read Scripture. I pray Moses' prayer on Mount Sinai, Exodus 33. God, show me your glory. Would you do that this morning as I come to your word? Show me your glory. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inside of us can help us to see with spiritual sight the glory of God in His Word. And the Holy Spirit can help us to rightly understand and interpret the Bible. Now you might be saying, John, if He helps us to understand and interpret the Bible in the right way, how come there are so many Christians who disagree on all kinds of different interpretations, right? There's all kinds of Christians out there who think different things about the Bible. I mean, they have the Holy Spirit. How can they all be in such disagreement? Well, it's because not only do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you right now, if you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but you've also got your flesh. You see, once you become a Christian, your flesh doesn't go away. Your sinful nature doesn't go away. It's still there, still nagging, still gnawing, still pulling you in an opposite direction than the Spirit is pulling you in. And so, in our flesh, in our sinful nature, sometimes we get the Bible wrong, right? Sometimes we come to the Bible with our own agenda. Sometimes we come to the Bible and we want it to say something. And so we're looking for confirmation of what we already believe, of what we want to be true. Sometimes we do that in our own sinful nature. Sometimes in our pride, we want a certain verse to say something, but we don't want anything else to contradict what we think that verse is supposed to be saying because we have an agenda. We, we want something to be true. Sometimes we want to use the Bible for our own ends, for our own advancement. Right? We've got our flesh pulling at us. So there are times where we will get the Bible wrong. This is not a guarantee that your interpretation of Scripture will always be 100% flawless. But it is a promise that is encouraging to us as believers that God will help us to understand and rightly interpret the Bible with the Holy Spirit, His Spirit that is inside of us, helping us to understand the things God has freely given us. The Spirit doesn't just help us individually, though. The Spirit helps you understand God's Word by using others 
Think about this. If the Spirit gives understanding to Christians, then He doesn't just give understanding to you. He gives understanding to other Christians. And how foolish of us would it be to not utilize the wisdom and the understanding of those other Christians, men and women who have been gifted by the Spirit to teach, to preach, to communicate God's truth. We should use their gifts. We should use their understanding to help us grow in our understanding. And in that way, the Spirit is also helping us. How foolish and absurd would it be if I said, I want to grow in understanding God's Word, but then I refuse to attend Sunday school or sit under biblical preaching or read good Christian books. The Spirit has given others understanding, not just me, so I want to benefit from other people. Going at this all alone does not make you more spiritual. In fact, it leads to all kinds of problems and dangers. So the Spirit not only gives us the Word, the Spirit helps us to understand the Word, but then finally today, the Spirit helps us to see the value, beauty, and glory of God's truth. The Spirit doesn't just help us to know it. The Spirit helps us to see the value and the beauty and the glory of it. Look back at verse 14 with me. Verse 14 in our text says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now this doesn't mean a person without the Holy Spirit cannot know any of the facts of the Bible. Right? There's all kinds of people out there who don't have the Spirit, who don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord, who, who know lots of information that is contained here in these Scriptures. Right? In fact, I'll tell you this. Satan himself knows the Bible better than any of us. Satan knows the Bible better than any of us. Think about it. How many years has he had? Much more than you or I. He knows the Bible better than any of us, but it's not enough to save him. Why? Because he doesn't treasure it. He doesn't value it. He doesn't see it as beautiful. It's foolishness to him. He uses it to hate people and to lead people astray, away from God. And so unbelievers can know facts about the Bible or about the Gospel. But this does not save someone. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot see this as glorious and valuable. You can see it, but apart from the Holy Spirit, you can't see it as glorious, as valuable. Without the Spirit, people look at God's truth and see it as foolishness. What does 1 Corinthians 1.18 say? For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the wisdom of God. The, the very same words can be to one group glorious and life-giving and to another group foolish and ridiculous. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives light. The Spirit opens our eyes. The Spirit can help us to see the glory and the value and the beauty of God's Word. It's like a man. Jesus told a parable a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. Finds a treasure hidden in a field. And not only does he see that he has found a treasure, but he sees, he understands that it is worth everything he has. And so what does he do? He covers it up. He goes and he sells all that he has 
to buy that field so that the treasure will be his. He finds a treasure and it's worth selling everything he has to get it. That's what the Spirit helps us to see. God's truth is worth everything we've got. Everything I have, it's worth it to give it up for God's truth. For the glory here. That's what the Spirit helps us to see. What happens when you start to see God's Word as the treasure above all treasures? What happens when you see its beauty and its glory? What happens when you see that it's worth giving up everything you have to get it? Now, I'm going to close with a passage from 2 Corinthians. If you want to look at it with me, if you've still got your Bibles open, I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for just a few moments here at the close of our, our time this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 4 and going to read to verse 6. And this sheds light on what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 4. Paul says, In their case, this is the case of unbelievers, in their case, the God of this world, lowercase g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let me explain what's going on here. All of this is happening by God's Spirit. Except verse 4. In verse 4 of that text, Paul says, Satan, the God of this world, lowercase g, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. Satan's blinded unbelievers. They can't see the glory of God in his truth and the gospel. They can't see it. They might see the facts. They might know, yeah, Jesus died on the cross. There's even unbelievers who, who believe the fact that Jesus rose from the grave, but they don't see the glory of it or the beauty of it. Satan has blinded their minds. Satan has given them a spiritual blindness that only the Holy Spirit can undo. So how does it get undone? How does your spiritual blindness turn into spiritual sight? Verse 6, the same God who said, let there be light in Genesis 1. The same God who, when there was nothing, there was a void, said, let there be light. And those words exploded out of his mouth and created stuff out of nothing. You know the, the Word of God is the most powerful force the universe has ever known? The Word of God? Think about it. The Word of God is so powerful that He created the universe out of nothing with His words. When He spoke, that's how He did it. There was nothing. And He created the universe from nothing. None of us can do anything like that. We can't create out of nothing. We can create stuff. You know, we, we are creative beings. God made us like this in His image. We can create, but we can only create out of pre-existing materials, right? Only God can create out of nothing. Only God can bring something from nothing. And He does so by speaking, by His Word. It explodes out of His mouth. Let there be light, and there was light. Right? But it doesn't just happen in creation. If you are a Christian today, 
If you have seen the goodness and the glory of God and the beauty of Christ, God has spoken that word to your heart. God said in your heart, let there be light. And you saw. For the first time you saw the glory of God. Have you experienced this? Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember where I was. I remember sitting on a pew at the Owensboro Church of Christ. I remember the pew I was on. Feeling like I'm seeing for the first time in my entire life. Let there be light. He said it into my heart. And ever since then, you see the glory and the beauty and the value of God's truth. You treasure it above all treasures. Has God done that for you this morning? Has God spoken into your heart and said, let there be light? Have you felt that? Or let me ask you this. Are you beginning to feel it? Are you just now starting to feel it? Are you just now starting to feel like God is saying, let there be light into your heart and He's taking away your spiritual blindness? See, this is so tough. This is so hard. Because the trick about spiritual blindness is you don't know you're blind. A blind person in in real life, a blind person in the physical world knows they're blind. But a spiritually blind person doesn't know they're blind. You don't even know you're blind until God says, let there be light. And all of a sudden you see for the first time and you say, where has this been? Has God done that to you this morning? Is He doing that to you right now? If He is, perhaps God is beginning to call you to Himself. Calling to your heart, come home. Come home. Stop wondering. Stop trying to find satisfaction in everything else. You've experienced it. You can't find it anywhere else. You know. Don't you? You've tried. You're unsatisfied. You've tried to find satisfaction in all of the other things and you can't find it. You're going from thing to thing, from place to place, from person to person. You can't find satisfaction anywhere else. You know it's not out there. God's saying, stop. Come home. Are you going to let God speak? Let there be light into your heart and open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, to the things of God, because the Spirit not only has given you the Word, He's not only helped you to understand the Word, but the Spirit says let there be light and helps us to see the treasure that it is, a treasure that's worth giving up everything you have to get. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your amazing grace. Thank You for Your grace in my life and the hearts of those of us who who have the Spirit, who have heard Your call, let there be light. And see now by Your grace what we could not see before. God, we pray that You would open our hearts every day. We pray that You would Give us new light every single day. Insight into your thoughts and your ways and your heart from your Holy Spirit. But God, we pray for those who have not yet experienced this. For those who have not felt what we're talking about when they read your word. They see the glory and the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. We pray that you 
would say in their hearts, let there be light. And your word would explode into sight, spiritual sight and salvation this morning for those who have not yet been saved. God, I pray that for those that you are calling to, you would lay a burden on their hearts to where they could not ignore it until they come to you and give in. And then experience the joy and the satisfaction in their hearts that only you can give. Thank you for your spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.